You know, we've been uh, in a series that is trying to help us connect to one another and, of course, to connect with God. And it's been my challenge over the last two weeks, including this one, to start to know and grow with one another. Start to know one another and start to grow spiritually in Christ with each other. You know, you might be new to Bethany, and we've talked about small groups. You might be wondering, what in the world is a small group? We've never really taken time to define it, so let me just kind of do my best to simply define what a small group is. It's about 10 to 12 people that meet together throughout the week just for about one hour or an hour and a half. Sometimes they have food. I like the groups that have food, by the way. Sometimes they, uh, they have fellowship together, but they go through the week's sermon. And in the chair rack in front of you, you'll find a connect card. And every week there are sermon discussion questions that are in there. And they just walk through that. It's not like Bible study stuff. It's not really in-depth stuff. You're not going to sit there and go, whoa, man, my mind was just blown away here by the study of Scripture. It's more about connecting with each other, about growing with each other, learning from each other, getting smarter together, secure together, being safe as we walk this journey together called faith. They're, they're a very informal but valuable way to know one another and to grow in Christ. And so we've been trying to challenge you to get involved in one because I know how it works within community. You come up with all sorts of excuses as why you shouldn't. And God gives us one. You're dependent upon him and you're dependent upon each other. We're dependent upon him and the church. And you're saying, but boy, man, self-sufficiency. That's how I live my life. I'm a self-made person. I'm living for independence. If If I just find some independence, I'll be happy. But that's totally not how we're wired. We're wired to be interdependent amongst one another, but dependent upon God himself. If you want to see this sermon in a sentence, it's found in Romans chapter 12. Here's what it says. In Christ we, and if you are not in Christ, that means that you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you've never called him your Lord. We're going to talk about how you can do that at the very end of this sermon. In Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So I belong to you and you belong to me. Lucky you, right? We belong to one another. We're connected because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And I can't fulfill God's purpose for my life alone. I can't do that. I'm going to need you all in my life. And here's what I've discovered the truth about myself. Whether I want you or not, I need you. I need you in my life. Full disclosure here, okay? Confessions of a pastor. I'm not a fan of small groups. You're going, boy, how does he sit here and talk about them like he absolutely loves them Oh, I'm, I, I, if, I, if I were left to my own devices, I would stay home and watch TV. Or I'd take that time and that I would use it for myself. Some kind of way in which I'd say, I'm too busy. I got my schedule full. Uh, I don't need people right now in my world. Matter of fact, the last thing I want to do right now is talk to someone about my heart right now to somebody. But what I've discovered is I, I may not want them all the time, but I, I am self-aware to know I need them. Now, my wife, my wife... She needs them, and she wants them. That's why we're a part of two small groups. And so for a guy who doesn't want them but needs them, boy, I've really come a long way there. My wife has dragged me into them, and I've discovered that that was a good thing. I'm a better man because I'm a part of community, because left to my own devices, I've got a gravitational pull towards selfishness. And you might too. And so I need to be in one because I need how I so desperately need people. Because I'll tell you what, man. More confessions of a pastor. I don't ever feel like I'm a very good friend. And I need, a, I need a moment, a place I can go to with people that love me and know me and will just accept me and I can relax with those people. I, I need that spot where I can go to and say, hey, let's, let's, let's just do life together. Let's just be friends together. So if you're a husband in this room and you feel like you're being dragged into small groups, I know how you feel. 
If you're someone in this room, you feel like you've been dragged into swamp, I know how you feel. And I'm here to tell you, it's, it's going to make you better. It's going to be the best thing that you can possibly be a part of. When you get out of this crowd, you get out of the rows, and you start getting into community, and you start getting into circles. And you, I want you to find a small group before you need a small group. And here's what I've experienced, and here's what I've found in small groups. I've found people who will walk with me. I've found people that will work with me, and I've found people that will watch over me. Let's look at the first one first. Is that is, I I'm, will find in a small group others to walk with me. You know, faith is oftentimes uh, called a walk, a journey. Uh, we walk in the light, we walk in joy, we walk with each other, we walk with the Lord, we walk in truth, we walk in love. Colossians, rather, chapter 2, verse 6 says it like this. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Like, we're supposed to be walking with God, walking with the Lord Jesus, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, God never intended that you walk this journey of faith alone. And faith is a journey. You just don't like sit still in your faith. You don't just stop moving. You're constantly being stretched. You're constantly being challenged in faith. And you're not where you used to be, but I know this. You're not probably where you want to be in your faith. We're in this journey together. Last week, I introduced you to the family of uh, the Heidenreichs, Andrew and Casey Heidenreich. And I talked to you about how they were able to face the darkest day that they've experienced in life because of, of God in their life, their dependency on God and their dependency, interdependency on, on friends in a small group. We heard from Andrew and Casey, but I want you to hear from the small group that walked through the valley of the shadow of death with them. And as they, they were in that shadow and they were at a place of life where they knew it was really dark, they had some people walk alongside of them and, and were able to grieve alongside of them and were able to sympathize and and show empathy alongside them. I want you to hear from the group's standpoint of their story. Not being part of a small group before and then just joining this group, I was just thinking about the time of year that was, every single one of us was just completely slammed with some type of work. And to see us fill an entire bus full and to show up and then to walk into that room and see Andrew. As a man, I just stood there and I thought, all these other godly men are standing there and we're all praying. And this is a horrible thing to see Josie like that. But I thought, I'm so happy and blessed to be a part of a group like this. I didn't know anybody here. So that's why I wanted to join a small group, just to meet people, especially um, people who have the same background that we were trying to get into. And I was just kind of blown away by how we started not knowing each other at all. And then now I know that if I need anything, I don't know to call you girls, even if it's just a prayer request or have a really bad day or I just want somebody to come eat lunch with me because I'm on the way. Always somebody there. To your point though, it is cool, like when we started there was what, one or two kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, 35 of them? <laughs> just to be able to be in the small group that we were, just to be together, you know, and, and it's just like in in family deaths or any hard things. With me, I just like for someone to be there. They don't even have to talk to me. I'd rather them not talk to me. But just the just the awesomeness of having someone there and, and being together. Making the right decisions is, um, you guys probably don't know it, but a lot of you guys had a lot to do with me taking this job. I mean, I mean, I talked to you guys about it. You guys told me what you guys thought. You might not remember, but I did. Mm-hmm. You guys put your opinions forward in a truthful way. 
I feel like I've been through a lot of seasons and being able to connect with the girls, especially on a, definitely a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. Yeah, they're definitely my accountability partners and just helping me stay on the right track. So I feel like they definitely helped in my journey. The girls, we've done different Bible studies, book studies, and um, and so that's, you know, made me dig deeper into the Bible too. Yeah. So. Being able to open up in the group has helped me open up or evangelize to other people easier. I mean, it's, start with a small friend, start talking, and then it just grows and grows and grows, and it's easier to talk about it other than just certain people. I think it's great just knowing that there's people, like, I mean, some of you girls have already mentioned it, but like, that'll just pray for you, because like, I still have like cupcake sticky notes that we used in our first season of um, small group, um, and I have one of Aaron's for her sister in soccer, <laughs> and I, I still have it, but it's just like a good memory to remember, like, there's people that I can ask to pray for me if I need them to. It completely changed the way I handled stress and how I handled life. Before we got this deep into Christ, we kind of relied on some worldly things to take stress away and make us feel better. And definitely, especially watching how you guys handle this has helped us to, to lean more on Christ when we're feeling down. I get it from, from church, but I, I think I feel more from the small group aspect of just just the truly the unconditional love and I think that's just I think the biggest thing that that I've taken from just being part of, of the small group. Small group to especially our family was great but at that moment in time when that all went down I believe I just felt more comfortable as a small group I mean if we could have stayed together all the time I, I felt like to help them and to help everybody uh, Get, you get through Sunday, you know, and then Wednesdays when we meet in the middle of the week. And I remember Matt having that sermon a while back, and he said Friday's coming. Well, I'd always think after Sunday, Wednesday's coming because it's like medicine. I think for everybody's soul, yeah. Wednesday's coming. And then once you get to Wednesday, you can make it to Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, I once believed that I could walk this journey of faith alone, and maybe that's where you're at today. And you don't have a group of people that can surround you and talk spiritual matters and keep you on point spiritually and, and keep you in Christ's direction. But let me give you some of the benefits that I've found being a part of a small group. Number one is, when I'm walking, walking with others, I, I feel safe. I'm safer walking with others in this journey called life. You know, there are some times in my life where I am tempted to, to give in to some fights that have just overwhelmed me. And that's when the small group comes alongside of me, especially the men in that group that say, don't give in, don't give up. There's some times when I'm, I'm looking to give up and some temptations that I face. And there's some men in that group that I've been able to open my heart with and say, these are some areas of my life where I am weak. And they've been coming alongside of me and say, don't give in and don't give up. It's safer to walk with others in this journey called faith. Who do you have in your life that is telling you, don't give up, don't give in, stay connected to Christ? It's supportive in that way too. It's not just safer, it's supportive when I walk with other people. There are people that know that my heart, my soul, my mind, and the strength want to be focused on Jesus, and I don't get that right all the time, that I want Jesus the priority of my life, but I don't find that to be right all the time, and they steer me back that direction. I have some faith friends that have been developed in that small group that I've been a part of for, for a number of years. You know, you don't find faith friends at the workplace all the time. You don't find faith friends at the gym or at the golf course or at the club, that's not where you find faith friends. 
Then you find faith friends right here in the church. And friends, you're not going to find it just in this crowd. You're going to have to get small, scaled down to a place of community where you can join a small group and link up with other people, not in these rows, but in a circle. So not only are you safer when you walk together, not only is there more support when you walk together, but you're also smarter when you walk together. You know, I might be smart alone, but together we can be brilliant. And I know that there's a lot of things out there that I just don't perceive. There's a lot of things that I just don't know about. And there are others who can come alongside of me and say, you know what, Matt? Uh, I've got some teenagers that are just a, a few years older than your boys. And let me tell you the things that we did wrong. Let me tell you the things you did right, that we did right. Proverbs 28 says it like this. Those who trust on their own insight are fools. They're foolish. You might say, well, that sounds pretty harsh. But we don't know everything there is to know. We don't have the complete picture. We don't have all the knowledge. We don't have all the guidance. One scripture points out this advice. It says, without guidance, a people will fall. But with many counselors, there is deliverance. And my question to you is, who's counseling you? Because if it's the person at your workplace that's not a believer, when the marriage gets rocky, probably the first thing they're going to instinctively say is, get out of the house, go flee from them. When parenting becomes hard, they're going to say, you know what, let's go to the bar and let's just forget about some of that stuff. They're not going to keep you Christ-focused. They're not going to be the support. They're not going to keep you safe. They're not going to make you smarter. How about getting into a group of some faith friends that can keep you focused on Christ, can keep you pointed towards Christ, and keep, can give you the good guidance of Jesus Christ? Guys, look, it's not good to be alone. God said that when he created Adam, and he looked at Adam, and he said, is there a suitable, a suitable helper amongst the animal kingdom? And Adam said, no, I can't find anybody here. And God said, okay, I'll make you woman out of man, different but compatible, a helpmate, someone to fill in the weaknesses of one another. God said, I created that for you, Adam. And Eve, I've created him for you. And you know, there's two things that God has created for you so that you feel like you belong, so you don't go through this life alone. Number one is physical family, the physical family, the blood family or adopted family that you have here going, but I don't like them. I don't like that family. You know, someone had said that crazy usually skips a generation. Nuh-uh. In my family now, we're at the place where crazy is in every single generation. Maybe that's like your family. Someone said happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another state. That's happiness. We all have a physical family, and yours might be a little bit dysfunctional, but let me introduce you to another dysfunctional family that God has allowed you to be a part of, a spiritual family. Both are dysfunctional. You know why? Because you're in them, and I'm in them. And anytime someone is in them that is sinful or has broken or has issues, it becomes dysfunctional rather quickly. And God says, I want you to be a part of that family. And let me tell you how it's different than your physical family. That spiritual family knows about the love of Christ, knows about the forgiveness of Christ, knows about the mercy of Christ. So when I stumble, when I fail, when I say things that I shouldn't be saying, or when I stumble or offend my brother, they're quick to forgive, they're quick to love, and they're quick to show mercy. How about that for the family that you've been born into, your physical family? It's a completely different kind of family. It's a loving, caring, forgiving family that helps to or tries to model themselves after Jesus Christ the best way they know how. You're not going to find that in this crowd. You're going to find it when you step out of this place and you form community in a small group. You're not going to find encouragement in this crowd unless it comes out of my mouth, more than likely. You're not going to be able to, to meet everyone in this crowd. There's just too many people here. Friends, God's answer to loneliness is not in this crowd. God's answer to loneliness is found in community, especially things like small groups. And I don't want you to walk alone. I want you to walk with others who can be your faith friends and can point you in the direction of Jesus Christ. Join a small group.
Listen, in a small group, I find others who will work with me. And this is important. Because God has created me and he's created in you some gifts and some talents so that we could do some good works that he's planned for us to do. Listen now, Ephesians chapter 2 tells about it. It says, for we are God's handiwork. Uh, one, I like one version of scripture. It says we're God's masterpiece. You just keep that in mind when you've, you're losing your identity. You keep that in mind when you feel like a failure. You keep that in mind when you're depressed and you're lonely. You just remember that you're God's masterpiece. And he has knitted you together inside your mother's womb. He cares for you. He loves you so much that he gave his only son to die for you. For you're God's handiwork. You're his masterpiece. You've been created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do some good works. There's some good things out there for you on this journey. And he's prepared those things in advance for you to do. He has set these things up on your schedule long before you were ever born. He doesn't want you to go through it alone. And did you know that any time that you use that giftedness, those talents that God has placed in your life to do some good works that he's planned for you, you know what? That word is called in scripture, it's called ministry. You're ministers when you put together your gifts and your talents to do some good works for God that he's planned for you to do. And I'm here to tell you, you don't do those well when you're alone. You do those best when you're in a group together. And I'll tell you why, because it's exhausting to minister. To day in, day out, love your neighbor, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. It is exhausting to do that. Some of you know how exhausting it is to minister to other people. You've been in the place where you say, listen, my default mode is like your default mode. I am set on selfishness. And when it gets hard, when it gets tiring, when it gets depressing, when people don't pat me on the back, I just want to shut off and get away. Or maybe it's like this for you. Maybe you say, the heart says go, but the body says no. Like the heart says, I want to help. I want to be there. I want to serve. I want to love this person. But the body's like, you are exhausted mind and strength, you're exhausted. Friends, we all get worn out. We all get exhausted. We all get burned out. Some of you are in this room today because you've been carrying a load for too long by yourself, not with other people. Ecclesiastes says it like this, two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. Is it a far stretch just to say in a team we get more done, but by ourselves, not so much? Listen, we saw this at work a couple weeks ago at our fall kickoff. Our fall kickoff, we had people sent out all over our communities in Vincennes and Washington. Some people were going to the gas stations to pump gas for people and wash their windshields and then generously and lovingly pay for their gas. And uh, so we had some people do the same at grocery at the, the grocery store where they're bagging ba- groceries and putting them in the trunks and uh, paying for people's groceries just out of generosity. We had some people also, one small group, the Fields small group here in Washington, Dan and Courtney Fields, decided that they were going to go and take their small group and just mow people's grass they saw someone's grass that was unkept and whose yard needed to be mowed, they were just going to stop and go. They, they had a guy in their group that owns a lawn care business, and he just said, use all the equipment you want, use all the trucks you want. That particular week, I'll tell you the truth, I didn't cut my grass on purpose. <laughs> and they didn't show up on purpose. <laughs> I don't know what kind of generosity we're peddling around here. But <laughs> and that group went out, and what they did is they knocked on doors, and they said, can we mow your grass? And people were skeptical at first, and they said, listen, we're just doing this in the name of Jesus. We're just here to shine a little bit of light in your darkness. And they mow the grass, and they take care of it. And uh, while, while the group was mowing the grass, they had another group that would talk to the homeowner and try to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. And they did that time and time and time and time and time again that Saturday. And they were able to do so many homes and talk to so many people and show so much love of Christ to people without, without being fatigued. Why? Because they didn't go at it alone. Just think, if you went at that alone, You'd probably get one house done on one Saturday afternoon. You'd be too exhausted to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the next day would come, you'd say, let's do that again. You'd say, nope. The heart says go, but the body says no. Friends, it's simple. 
more impact, more ministry can be accomplished when there's more hands, when there's more people, people who will work with you. And you know what I found in a community like a small group? That when I get fatigued, when I get tired as a member of a small group, my small group comes beside me and lifts me up and encourages me and supports me. Where do you find that at outside of the church? Do you have that in your life? Because there is going to be a moment, there's a storm that's brewing, and I'm telling you, find a small group before you need a small group. You know, I can tell you about countless stories about people that are in group together when they were sick or ill or hospitalized, that that group put together a meal train and provided meals for the evening for weeks and weeks and weeks, or came in and cleaned up their home and made sure that the house was always in order as they recuperated at home. Or how about just the simple things? It's like, hey, we're going to pray for you, and we're going to make sure that we're praying for you daily. And here's, a, here's an encouraging text message to, to make you aware that I just prayed for you today. Where are you getting that at in your life? Are you getting that? Or are you trying to go through life alone? Or just as simple as, hey, my kids are at school, and I know you're busy. How about I just stop and pick up your kids too, and I'll drop them off for you? Because I know your schedule, because we do, we do life together. And you don't need to overburden yourself with something like that. No need to make two trips. Let me just take them home. I want you to experience that in life. Now, I've told you this story before. I tell you this story again because, because I want you to experience something like my wife and I have experienced. And, and, and for as long as my memory holds, I'll keep this close to the heart. Uh, years ago when my wife was uh, pregnant with twins, and just a few days before she gave birth to them, we were kind of nesting in. You know how that works. And we were painting the house, and we were trying to get everything in order. And, uh, you know, I'm not really a good handyman. Like, you don't want me doing your work. And so everything I was doing uh, for the last two weeks, my small group would come in week to week, and they'd go, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And so they said, listen, Matt, will you, will just, can we just do this stuff for you, all this stuff that you're trying to get done? I said, sure. So about a day before we went to the hospital, uh, a guy came in, he just kind of did like a home inspection, and he was just looking around the house and taking a look at stuff, and then he went down to the basement, and then we went to the attic, and I said, guys, all this stuff is in the lim- living room. They said, yeah, yeah, we, we know that. Uh, quickly, Kelly went into labor. We were there the next day at the hospital, and uh, the, the boys were born healthy, and she was fine, and once we got settled in, and by the way, she gave birth, and I helped her breathe, okay? I did my part. <laughs> Don't act like I didn't do nothing. I finally get her settled in and uh, come back to the house just to grab some stuff. And here's what I find at my home. I find that my driveway is packed with cars. My small group is there. The music's loud and there's pizza on the countertop of the kitchen and they're having a giant party. (laughs) But as they're partying, they're working. There's people painting. There's people cleaning. There's people blowing insulation in the attic. They're, They're cleaning the basement all up. They're getting the rooms in order better than anything we could have ever done. And I tell you that story because I want you to experience that kind of love. I want you to experience people going the extra mile for you when you're fatigued, when you're down, or, or when you don't know how to take care of twins because it's all new to you. I want you to experience the community of Christ. And it's not perfect, but it's good. And it's better than anything I've ever experienced in my life. And, when I may, and even though I may not want a small group, I'm actually uh, uh, honestly assured that I need a small group, and so do you. In a small group, I find people that will walk with me and work with me, even when I'm fatigued. Here's the last thing. In a small group, I find others to watch over me. This is a good one. Yeah, I love football. Football starting up. Three of my boys play football. I love to watch them play football. I played football, but I wasn't very good at it. Uh, I didn't like getting hit in the head. Something about that I just didn't enjoy. What I discovered just recently was the two most important positions on the football field. 
Uh, number one is the quarterback. Now, I knew that, of course. The quarterback is the lead. He's the one that has the special skills. He's like the captain of the team. But number two is someone that you may not think should be the most important, but, but, but is, and that's called the left tackle. It's that big guy on the offensive line that is a, like 6'6", six, 6'8", six, six, 320 pounds, but can run faster than I could on my best day. So it goes the football center, the left guard, another big guy, and then another big guy, the left tackle. And those two guys, the quarterback and the left tackle, are the most important and sometimes the highest paid personnel on a football team. You say, why the left tackle? Why not a wide receiver or a running back or a defensive end? Someone. It's the left tackle to protect the quarterback. To protect the quarterback from being, and here's the word, blindsided. So that when the quarterback's back is turned, an opposing defender doesn't come and injure the quarterback and wreck the game, or worse, wreck the season by injuring the premier player. And so they hire a defenseman, someone to stand in defense on the offensive line to stop that from happening, to keep that quarterback safe. And my question to you is, who has got your back? Who's watching your blind side? Because you can, you can probably watch a lot of things, but you can't watch everything. And friends, there is a storm coming. Who talks you off the ledge when your day's been crazy? Who helps to keep you spiritually on track? Who's watching over your soul and pointing you to Christ when things get wild? Ecclesiastes chapter 4 puts it like this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back. Don't you just love that imagery and conquer? There, three are even better. For a triple braided cord, it's not easily broken. It makes me wonder if Solomon, who wrote that, would have just said four are better, five are better, six are better, seven are better, 10, 12, great, amazing, perfect protection. Some of you, in this room, you need to have some people that got your back because you don't. You have some people that hold you accountable. It makes you better when you're held accountable. It makes you better when someone says, hey, you have a responsibility here and you've got to fulfill it. Now, some of us hate accountability, but I'll tell you what, it's made my marriage better. When my wife holds me accountable, it makes my marriage better. When I'm held accountable with my parenting, it makes my parenting better. Hey, it makes my job better when I'm held accountable and I have a, a level to hit or a responsibility to hit. But for some reason, when it comes to our faith, we all act like we shouldn't be held responsible or accountable to it. We all just sit there and say, well, that's mine. Don't judge me. Leave me alone. You're not welcome to that information. But what if it could make you better? And I'm not saying that there's accountability there to destroy you. It's accountability to restore you. And that accountability comes best, not from a stranger, but from a friend. Wounds from a friend, the Bible says, they can be trusted. And I can trust those in my small group that hold me accountable to God's word and say, Matt, you know what? It looks like you're off course. It doesn't look like you're on the right path here spiritually. Can I help to correct you? I take that better from a friend than I do from a stranger any day. So you need some people to watch over you. You need some people to hold you up when you feel down. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, uh, page 58 in the Bible there in the chair rack in front, front of you, there's a story about two famous godly leaders, a guy named Moses and another man named Joshua. Moses led the entire Israelite community and Joshua led the army of God. And in Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites are preparing for a battle against their sworn enemy. And previously their enemy had routed them on the battlefield and God was really upset at the enemy. Because they ruthlessly attacked the Israelites as they were trying to retreat and they killed the wounded and the stragglers. And God said, you were merciless 
towards my people, so I'm going to fight you and destroy you. And so Moses tells Joshua, the commander of the army, go assemble your army and meet the Amalekites on the battlefield. And Moses says, I'm going to go up to the top of the hill with two of my buddies, a man by the name of Aaron, a man by the name of Hur. As we go up there, we're going to overwatch the battlefield. And God said, good. As you go overwatch the battlefield and you watch Joshua start to fight the Amalekites, Moses, hold up your staff and keep your hands up high because if your hands are held up high and you're connected to me, you will not lose the battle. But once your hands start to fade and the staff starts to fall, you'll lose the battle. You won't have the victory. That staff that you see Moses had is often called the staff of God. It was like just this wooden shepherd's staff. There was nothing special about it, but Moses did so many important things with that staff. The first thing he did when he met God was he threw it on the ground, and God turned that wooden staff into a snake. Then when Moses picked it back up, it turned back into a wooden staff, and God did that to say, Moses, listen, if you stick with me, there'll be power in your weakness, and I will define my power through you and through the most ordinary things. Guys, that staff was used time and time again in Moses' hands in faith, declaring God's power. That staff was used one time during the the plagues of the Egyptians when Moses tapped it on the sand of Egypt and it turned, the sand turned to lice to be a plague to Egypt. Uh, That staff was used one time when it was tapped into the Nile River and turned turned all the blood to serve as a plague towards the Egyptians. That staff was used to part the Red Sea That staff was used to bring forth water from a rock in the middle of a desert. And that staff was used here in this story. That if it was raised, the Israelites would win the battle. But if it were lowered, they would be defeated. Look at this story together in Exodus chapter 17. It says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites and Moses had ordered... Joshua fight the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill... As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites with the sword. You know, that posture that Moses is taking with his hands held high, more than likely his head held up with his eyes open was their posture of prayer. Now ours are hands folded, eyes closed and head bowed, but not theirs in that time. And really what it is is symbolizing that Moses was connecting with God in that moment and saying, God, we are weak. We cannot defeat our enemies. We need you and we're dependent upon you. And as, as Moses' arms grow tired, he calls upon Aaron and who are his community He calls upon his small group, and they say, sit down, Moses, you're growing weak, and we'll sustain your arms so that the victory will be had. And they hold up his arms as he grows tired and fatigued. Who is it that is holding up your arms? Who is it that is connecting you to God? Who is saying, stay Christ-centered, I'm going to walk with you? Who is it that says, keep doing good works, even when you're tired, I'm going to work with you? Who is it that's saying, Hold true to the lofty standards of Jesus. I'm going to watch over you. Who is that in your life? Who's got your back? Who's keeping you strong and focused on the Lord? Who's keeping you in a posture of prayer? Who's keeping Christ the center of your life? Because if it's just dependent upon you, I'd say you and me have the same kind of gravitational pull to self-centeredness, not to Christ-centeredness. 
And I need people to hold me accountable and keep me responsible to the commitment I made to love the Lord my God with my heart, soul, mind, and my strength. And I'm challenging you. If you don't have community, if you don't have a small group that you join, when you leave this room, you get to our Next Steps room, you meet with Tyler, who just did our offering and communion meditations, and, and there's a team of people back there that will get you paired up to more people that will love you in a small group. And those things start today. They start this week, and they run, they run through about the mid of November. Just make that commitment. If you don't like it, bail. I'm done. I tried it. I'm going to find some more people. that could, But don't fall out of community because you can't do life alone. You know, some of the great people in our church uh, are the Clinkenbeards. That's Tennyson and Ruth Clinkenbeard. They go to our Vincennes campus. They've been a part of this uh, body of believers for a couple years. Last week, she heard this sermon. She, she just had to put out there her heart about uh, what they had gone through as they were a part of this crowd, but then finally dropped their pride and became part of a small group community. Ruth writes, we finally joined a small group last year. It was one of the best decisions we ever made. I say finally, because we talked about joining a small group for a long time. But the devil will give you all kinds of reasons as why you shouldn't. While we're busy being stubborn, God was busy putting together an awesome group of people that we now call our tribe. Man, when I was busy being selfish and not seeing the need or wanting a small group, God was busy putting together a group of people to be my tribe. And while you're busy doing whatever it is you're doing right now, maybe bashful, maybe too busy, I'm telling you, God's putting together a tribe right now for you, a perfect, knitted, tailored group for you, where you can rest in, find comfort in, who you can walk with, who you can work with, and who can watch over you. But friends, let me tell you something. As much as I want you to connect with one another, I first want you to connect with Jesus Christ. I want you to be in Christ. I want you to have your sins forgiven because we all have sins, one sin or a million. Friends, we all need a Savior, and that's Jesus. I want you to call him Lord. That means that you're going to say, God, you know what's better for me than I know it's for myself, and he does. He has these great high lofty standards, and friends, I can't get there on my own. I need his spirit, and his spirit is found when we give ourselves over to Jesus Christ in baptism. And before you ever join a small group circle, you first need to join Jesus Christ in that circle. You need to get out of this row, and you need to get into this circle, this baptistry, and declare yourself for Jesus, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, calling him Lord, I'll follow you, and calling him Savior, I've been set free from my sins.